Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style and Vibes podcast with me, Michaela. Today, I am solo because I usually start the year off with my predictions for the year in terms of just cultural predictions of what might happen. And we usually revisit them throughout the year to see if my predictions actually come to fruition. So I only have a few. So pull in tight and, and, and get ready for here. I'll things them. All right. Kicking things off, we have a lot in store for music. I think there's going to be a lot impacting music, particularly how artists connect with their audience. I think artists are going to have to be much more entrepreneurial, much more scrappy, um, especially in the time of attention spans. Artists are really going to have to make a consorted effort to connect with their fans digitally and in person. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of information, a lot of attention being shortened. As you can see, short form video has kind of taken over a lot of the social space, but also just the attention that people have. There's so many things going on on a day-to-day basis that I think artists are really going to have to work a little bit harder to maintain their relationship with their audience. And not only that, but in order to be generate revenue, they're going to have to become a bit of content creators. I mean, they are creators in their own right. They're just, you know, using their music kind of as their backdrop to really talk about their life, connect with their fan base, and really using their catalog as their soundtrack. Um, Because people want to see and do more. And because a lot of artists are already giving that level of access, it's becoming the standard uh, for people to actually connect with artists today. So I think a lot of, um, especially up and coming artists are going to have to do more to connect uh, than just releasing music. Um, and just going behind the scenes as if that's the only thing that they can do. Um, But we'll see what happens. Next up, I talked a little bit about short form video. Um, But as you guys may or may not be aware of, especially here in in the States, TikTok has definitely come under fire. Fire on multiple cylinders, right? It's become like a really great platform to connect with Gen Z and millennials. And now, you know, even the older generation is really getting into TikTok and its video format. Um, And what people really love about it here in the States is it's not too clunky, so it's not overly verbose. Um, But video format is really taken off, especially in the short form, less than a minute, less than 30 seconds, 15 seconds. Um, So it's posed a challenge to um, brands and artists and, you know, um, not only that, it's also, it's posed challenges from an artist's perspective um, just to connect with their audience really and truly, because even if your song goes viral and it eventually makes its way to radio and it's popular, it's really hard to maintain that level of release. Consumers are now really listening to singles. They're not necessarily connecting with the artist. So you might have this viral moment with a particular song of yours, but you have this entire catalog um, that you probably want to follow up with. And a lot of people who find out about your music via TikTok are not necessarily going to be exposed to you and who you are as an artist. So that I think 
is what I was talking about in the last point of artists becoming creators and really leaning into the creator space to make sure that they stand out. I think some indie artists are really doing a good job of it, especially in different industries. So I think Caribbean artists are going to have to do the same and really catch up to the industry. Here in the States, they are really talking about uh, the ban of TikTok potentially. Um, I think that this is going to play out in the political party situation. Um, there are already about 13 to 14 states who are considering banning the app and its usage for either under 18 or banning it holistically. So I don't know how logistically that would work um, just because the app is so prevalent. And then what are the repercussions? How are we going to monitor it? Um, But politicians are really thinking about privacy, I guess you could say, is what they're kind of really standing behind and the ability for its parent company, which is based in China, to spy on Americans through the app specifically in its audio and visual and text, even um, just the access through the camera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we'll need to be watching this a little bit more closely. Um, And as TikTok's popularity does increase, I think, even in the U.S. specifically or or in in this hemisphere, I I would say, there is going to be a focus on some of the other apps like YouTube Shorts or we have Be Real, which is a newer app, or there's going to be a flip to really focus on some of the other short-form video apps like maybe Snapchat. Um, Instagram Reels, I think, has already kind of taken on a life of its own, and there's so many changes within Instagram Um, And they keep kind of changing some of the settings and and really adjusting based on how people use the app itself. It's based on insights. I just really want them to fix all the comment bots, but that's a whole nother thing. But I think that TikTok's just being so popular and at the mouths of every marketer and every music exec and creators, as well as, you know, people who consume, like TikTok has just really exploded. Um, But I do think that there are going to be some significant changes, challenges within the platform. And TikTok as a whole is going to have to address it. And it will directly impact artists. More on the music front, I think we are going to see more non-English speaking languages, top to charts, especially like the billboard charts. I think you know, the success of like Burna Boy and Bad Bunny and Wizkid, J Balvin, Faluma, like all of these artists are really coming in, speaking in their own native tongue, sometimes incorporating English. I think that we're going to see more of that. We've already seen a lot of it really take off on the charts as well as permeate through culture. So I think that that is going to be a mainstay. I don't think it's going to be a trend, Um, And we're going to see more of it. There are already different playlists and mood lists, and it's really um, guided towards the sound. So I think more people will be in tune to the rhythm and the beats and how it's produced more so than the actual vocals, the lyrics, um, who's saying them. So the importance of being melodic, being catchy, Um, and being something that people want to listen to on a regular basis outside of party mode or this particular vibe is where it's really going to go. I think Afrobeats really sits in a a great space where it can kind of meet at any vibe. So I'm hoping 
um, to hear more of that in the in the new year. I think we will hear more of that in the new year. And I think it has trained people's ears to kind of hear something different, even if they don't know what the the lyrics mean. They don't know exactly what they're saying, but they're really enjoying um, the rhythmic um, selection itself. I think we're going to see even more of that in 2023. So I talk a lot about cultural preservation and cultural equity. And I think in the last few years, we have seen a lot of producers and artists and entertainers kind of get dragged into legal battles as it pertains to rights and ownership and sampling. I think sampling is huge, especially for um, reggae and dancehall producers we all kind of know the story about Sister Nancy and how she didn't get her royalties until very late in her life for Watabambam. And I think that that trajectory of that has only amplified as as dancehall and reggae really kind of get their ducks in a row. I mean, we've recently heard about Red Rat's label, Greensleeves, actually going after Chris Brown for his um, his usage of tight-up skirt. Uh, so I think things like that, and then now we have Steely and Cleavy, who are producers who did the uh, Fish Market Rhythm, which is actually the Dembo from from Shabarangs. Uh, I actually thought that they were already involved in, you know, getting at least a fraction of royalties, but based on documentation, it, it sounds like, or even the case, I think that that is kind of still in limbo. I don't know if it's about the amount or if it is, or if it isn't, and, or it's really questioning a lot of the sampling that has happened in reggaeton all throughout the year. So I think that this is going to be very interesting, especially if you're a dancehall lover, if you're a reggaeton lover, um, the outcome of this particular case may change the trajectory uh, for the industry of, you know, it's an entire uh, sound that is really built upon this old school rhythm. And they keep, you know, extrapolating it and changing it, uh, allegedly. Um, I'm not a, a expert in sound, but this is what the case is really about is which chords were specifically replicated and where people compensated. Um, so that's why this case is going to be important um, for dance hall and for reggaeton in particular, because it will kind of impact how people hear the sound. I mean, Dembo is actually like known as, you know, the, the backbone of, of reggaeton, um, and it's its own subgenre. So I think it could have a huge impact on the music, um, a huge impact on how artists really approach reggaeton. It might have to change holistically as a sound. I don't know, but I'm curious to see how this plays out, if it plays out specifically this year. Because, you know, these cases are pretty long. They get pretty drawn out, but I'll be watching to see what happens. Next up, I think the transparency of economic hardship is going to really be at the top of mind of everyone. Uh, I recently became aware of two different videos at two different times. Uh, one was Fantasia talking about um, artists and what their economic status is. And she's basically saying, you know, you don't know, you know, how much money these artists have. They may look like they have it, um, but that's not necessarily the case. I, it's just a clip of a, a longer interview. Um, but I think it's really interesting that she kind of said it at that point. 
on the other side of the spectrum, Cardi B went live where she shared a video recently kind of talking about how the cost of food is really impacting her house. And the reason why she said she did a video is because she was like, if it's impacting me and I make a lot of money and I'm looking at it, how is it impacting the everyday person, the middle class, the poor community who live in food deserts, who don't have access to a lot of this in the first place? It only drives the cost up even more. So inflation really has a lot to do with that, um, as well as some of the logistical issues and challenges with fuel and all kinds of stuff. So the price will go up for everything and nobody be a nago. So I think, you know, that level of transparency in the industry, as well as um, with everyday people, people are going to be extremely mindful about how they spend, what they spend it on, which brings me to our next uh, item. I think that, you know, travel, people really want to get back out there. So discretionary spending is probably going to um, be challenged a bit this year. I think everyone is really coming off of um, two years of limbo. Um, but I think people are really going to buckle, tighten their belt. No one wants to say that we're in a recession, but everyone is talking about inflation and even the celebrities are talking about inflation. So I think that travel is going to be prioritized as an experience because of the last few years and in terms of people putting their mental health first, which I'll get to next, um, really spending the time and the money in spaces and places where they can rejuvenate. Um, But I do think that there's going to be a lot of thought that goes into where people travel, how people travel, and people are probably going to be willing to pay more for a premium experience. I think cruise it and all inclusives, right? Because it takes the guessing out of it. Uh, More group trips, luxury travel trips. I think that those are great because you don't have to do a lot of the planning. You just have to budget and plan for the budget of those things because essentially someone else is doing all of the planning for you. Uh, Recently, I saw that the Ritz-Carlton actually got into the cruise business. So they're doing luxury cruises and even cruises will be back in a big way. I think, you know, they're downsizing fleets. So they're making these ships, these cruise ships bigger and better and making sure that you have the ultimate experience, but condensing on costs. So there's not going to be as many cruises. So there's going to be limited spots and things of that nature. So I think travel is something that we're going to continue to see rise. Um, It's the place where I think people want to spend their time and money um, if they have it. Um, And I think also small trips are going to be a big thing, local trips, travel, um, really exploring things within, within driving distance, especially if you have big families or if you have families. Um, I think that those two things are going to really People are really going to start looking into those things in terms of travel uh, when they're planning out their fun for the year. I think we talked a lot about mental health, particularly through the pandemic. I think we've heard a lot um, from individuals on social, in person, through work, um, even in everyday. Mental health has been a topic of conversation. Um, It has been a 
talked about priority. And I say talked about priority because I don't know how much in reality it is prioritized. I think individuals have to prioritize their own mental health and not really expect others to prioritize their mental health for them. And I think that that level of accountability is what makes mental health so challenging, setting boundaries, being able to explore proper assistance. Um, And it really shifts the way we think about social interactions with people, what we do on a day-to-day basis. And it also shifts the cultural element of you know, exposing yourself or not exposing yourself in introverted activities versus extroverted activities that you do on a daily basis. But I think on a whole, people are going to be a lot more mindful. They're going to really pull back and create their own boundaries. And we as a culture are going to have to shift around what those boundaries are as individuals and as collectives. And I think more people are going to prioritize that as something that is important to them, not just on a a, a personal note, but as a collective people. Um, I think we're still seeing some of the challenges in the day-to-day where we're still expected to do all the things. Um, so again, it's really up to individuals to really set boundaries and stick to them. And I think that that's going to be the ch- biggest challenge for us as a community in 2023. My last one is kind of fun, but I think with mental health being such a focus, um, the clear mind thing is really coming up a lot. And I don't know if it's because of the space that I'm in. Uh, where I'm not drinking as much, but I'm also seeing a lot of like mocktails and non-alcoholic wines and beverages, beers, zero calorie this. Like it's really becoming a big thing where people want to experience the social aspect of enjoying a drink. They even enjoy the taste, but not with the buzz or the um, hangovers or, you know, that type of sluggish feeling that is often associated with drinking. Um, So I think we're going to see more beverages in the non-alcoholic space or set. Like, I think that there's this like hybrid of, of, it's kind of like when people talk about going vegan or they want to try something vegan. I feel like non-alcoholic beverages that aren't juice are kind of like that next wave. I actually, when I was pregnant, I um, had this non-alcoholic wine and it was so good. It actually really tasted like wine and I enjoyed it. I even drank it after having the baby and it was pretty good. I did try a, a tequila that was non-alcoholic and it was horrible. Like I had to throw it down the drain and uh, get my refund on behalf of the my, my cousin that bought it for me. It was just horrible. So I think that there are good things and there are bad things, and I've experienced both. But as I have experienced it, I've actually started to see it more. And that maybe that's just the idea of marketing, and that's how marketing works. Once you kind of are exposed to something, you see it over and over and over again because it is a thing. Um, but I was even watching what was one of one of these reality shows on Netflix, which is the one um, I want to say Crazy Rich Asians, but it, that's not the name of it. Was with the the rich Asian um, community out in California, and Kevin, one of the main characters, uh, Bling Empire. That's what it's called. 
I think that's what it's called. On Bling Empire, um, two of the characters actually pitched a non-alcoholic beverage to someone that uh, potentially would invest in their business. Kevin had a story around it because he was a former alcoholic, um, but he still wanted to enjoy the social activity of, you know, being with his friends and having a drink, but not really drinking. So he created this um, beverage that was for that specific community. And I think his story was just really interesting. And then another person also pitched a non-alcoholic wine line. Um, one was a beer, one was a wine, but I thought that that was pretty interesting and it gave like some, some interest around the industry as a whole. And I think that as an industry, a beverage industry there, that's going to be a big thing, um, to kind of marry, the the alcoholic brand with the non-alcoholic one and i think it will just increase you know the portfolio so i think it's really a smart move um people don't want to be buzz kills <laughs> essentially and sometimes you know you maybe you don't want to have um juice or a shirley temple or whatever and you want to kind of get the the taste without the buzz um which i can totally understand so i think we'll see more of that this year as well. So that is it for me, folks. Um, those are my trend predictions for the year. Just to recap, I think artists will have to get more scrappy, more entrepreneurial. I think there's going to be a lot happening around TikTok and the creator market. Uh, we'll see more non-English music topping the charts. I think more Caribbean producers and artists especially with a long catalog, are going to start really looking into their legal options um, when necessary. Uh, keep an eye out for how the Steely and Cleavy versus reggaeton, essentially, uh, might play out. Um, I think economic challenges for everyone, we're all really talking about it and being transparent about it really looking at travel as the outlet that people are going to really double down on. I think mental health will continue to be a focus and non-alcoholic beverages that are not juice that people actually would like to drink that have like an alcohol taste. I think that that will increase in this year or we'll start to see more of it. So with that, Look out for more from Style and Vibes in 2023. I know we kicked off the year really with the bang. Um, I'm excited for everything that we have coming up. So until next time, later, Tommy peeps. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Style and Vibes podcast. If you like what you hear, and I know you do, share it with your friends and family. If you want more, make sure you visit stylingvibes.com and follow us on our social channels, Twitter and Instagram at Style and Vibes. Until next time, Leah Tommy peeps.